a couple of weeks ago, I got a message from a listener of the show who was like, you know, I'm really interested in coming on the show. And uh, I had no reason to not invite them on. And I'm really, really glad that I did. Um, Elise and I had an incredible conversation that went much longer than I think either of us initially expected um, and will quite likely just be the first two parts of hopefully many more conversations into the future. Um, you are listening to Imagination Revolution UBI. My name is Corey Doty. This is a show that I do where I talk to people about what their lives would be like if they didn't have to work to cover the basics. What if we had a universal basic income structure? What if we had guaranteed security? Uh, and that's what we explore here. It was really great to, uh, to get to know Elise a little bit better through these interviews. And I did split them up into two parts. So um, hopefully they can fit better into your likely busy budgeted time uh to listen to podcasts um and you know when you get to the end of one episode don't worry there's more um so thanks for tuning in and uh enjoy you're listening to imagination revolution ubi my name is Corey, uh and today we are talking with elise do you want to introduce yourself um including maybe like how how you found the show or like I don't even really know how we're connected but you like obviously listen to the show and we're like I have things to say so um yeah will you tell us who you are and how you got here um yeah so my name is Elise I use they them pronouns um I am kind of newly disabled with long covid um, as of a year ago, and I am homeschooling two children and work part-time remotely. So, um, so you're a I very busy person. That, Thank you for joining us. Uh, yeah, and like we will get into that. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is, yes, very of the moment for me. Um <clears throat> We are connected, I think, just because you're, like, a cool queer person who I, like, friended on Facebook, honestly. And then I think you, you probably posted something about, like, oh, this podcast. And I was like, damn, that's up my alley. I'm going to listen to that. Um, so that's how I think that happened. Okay. I don't really know. Um, just like, oh, local, cool, queer people, friend request, friend request, I think probably. Yeah, I the situation, the the <clears throat> place that I had sort of guessed at was like, are you you're so you said you have a couple of young kids um, and you get around by bike sometimes. Did we maybe like uh-huh. some something about oh, that? Oh, fully. Like, I think I think you and I chatted years ago about like trikes. Are they any good? Or like, how are you setting up your makeshift rain cover on your family cargo bike? Right. Okay. Okay. And yeah, that makes. Sense. I think you were like giving me advice or something like <laughs> okay. that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, the Venn diagram of like queer family 
spiking. It's just all. Here we are. Yes. <laughs> here we are. And today we get to talk about like security and bodies and what we can rely on and everything that fucking comes in that. So thank you for joining me. And we'll, yeah, we'll close some of the me. loops of that Venn diagram. Yep. Yep. So you said that you are like newly disabled and working part-time and parenting. That is a lot of things. Um, do you, do you want to talk a little bit about like what, what, what of those things or what would doing those things look like for you if making sure that getting money to pay rent and buy food like was taken off of your plate? What, what would be left? Uh-huh. So I am in this weird situation where I need I need income. Like I have a partner that I live with and share expenses with, so it's not all on me, but you know, we need to both have income to uh maintain ourselves month to month. Um and I'm not quite sick enough to have um, my medical team recommending like a full medical leave um, in a way that would get me to qualifying for long-term disability even though I do have extended medical so I I was in a situation going into this where there was that potential which I'm well aware many people are not even in that situation right Um, because like in Canada there's so much of our health system and so much of our support system that is actually reliant on our employer offering extended medical coverage so I do have that but I'm just like I'm just sick enough to be like kind of limping around but not quite sick enough for people to be like yes I enthusiastically endorse that you never work again (laughs) go forth and apply for long-term disability um so I have to work but then it's like okay I mean recently some in there's been some indication that the type of long COVID that I have so I have more of the kind of fatigue type long COVID which is the most common um a dysautonomia type long COVID is expected to be to varying degrees lifelong um and what I'm being told at the local long COVID clinic which like again I feel lucky to have access to but there's no treatment and there's no um, there's no support. It's just you go there and they're like, yeah, it all seems like classic long COVID. Great. That's it. <laughs> um, but they, the doctor there has said to me multiple times, my prescription is rest. My prescription is lay in your bed in a dark room, listening to, to like low stress things like an audiobook or doing nothing or sleeping for like two hours a day that's my prescription because i'll go to i'll go to this the long code kind of doctor and be like what about this new vitamin people on the internet are saying it's the thing and she's always like nope the only proven treatment is rest and i've actually said to her like well that's the most expensive prescription you could give because it's not just now well can i work can i can only work part-time can i continue to to you know have an income myself but also who cares for me 
because as a family with young children in a an individualistic nuclear family setup we were already maxed out on care duties on top of income generating duties um like my partner and I often joke we'll like see other parents and be like oh they seem actually like they're not fully unhinged and like traumatized they must have the grandparent factor Mm. because you know there's like there's so many of us who don't have any real support network for care labor and so now in it within our family we've added another human that needs to be like needs care um so it's not even just the level of like not being able to get the sign off on a full medical leave um and, and certainly not to the degree that would pass the sniff test on like and my insurer basically for long-term disability but it's also like my partner still has to work full-time slash more because of the industry he works in um there's no one like if i just stop making food which is a thing then Mm -hmm. we just have to eat like you know expensive takeout every every day or like canned soup (laughs) um and then you know it's like dishes piling up whatever And, and so i have realized that the the treatment for my disability is inaccessible to me um, because of the because of capitalism because of the multiple systems that put us in this um this place of not only being having to um have you know every adult be generating some kind of income somehow um and having this like you know debt and coin-based economy but also the fact that it, you know it's become clear and clear to me and I, I i know that you also have personal experience with this from listening to your podcast <laughs> but um that our benefit systems are so designed to exclude not to include yeah. they're designed to say tick that box and then when you actually need to fall back on it it's like oh this is designed to disqualify as many people as possible yeah yeah, so I, in in my case, trying to contemplate being able to qualify for benefits, um, the fact is it's not that I can't work. It's not that I can't do my day-to-day. It's, it's that I'm being told that I shouldn't to try to heal, to try to feel better. Um, and so, I, you know, I've certainly pushed outside of my energy envelope to the point where I'm throwing up or collapsing or having major heart palpitations um and i notice overall declines in in my well-being and the sensations in my body when i'm doing too much and not resting but i can't say like i can't do those things because ultimately it comes back to my doctor and my care team are telling me to rest um in a prescriptive way like to try to improve um and so that's where I've been advised, you know, and I've sought legal advice that I probably wouldn't qualify for benefits because it's it's not that I it's not that I can't work. And so <clears throat> I'm in a situation where 
I'm like just kind of limping along being like, well, I guess this is just it forever for me now unless I can somehow, you know, I don't know, win the lottery. <laughs> um, and and I know there's so many people and it's not just the the qualities of an illness in someone's body that are being used to disqualify people. I mean, it comes down to like the lack of marriage equality for disabled people and, and the yeah. fact that in BC you can't live with somebody who has income and keep receiving your your people with disabilities benefit right so it just all comes down to this idea that you know we've built this neoliberal apparatus that wants to say hey we checked this box we provide this benefit if you don't qualify that's on you but it's actually inherently designed to disqualify Right. Well, and, you know, like you, you say, we set up these structures, but they're still operated within the context of capitalism. They're still operated within like a neoliberal business model where the goal of the businesses that provide that service is not to provide the service or to meet people's needs. The goal is to generate profit. And when you have something that is intending to generate profit off of like you know it, the money that is collected to secure people's well-being like the cost of that profit is the well-being of those people right like uh-huh so yeah like the insur the you know and the fact that the the benefits that I've mainly been looking at seeking are through a private insurer right like it's not a government benefit um i haven't got there yet because i do i do have extended medical I have this ability to you know potentially apply for long-term disability mm-hmm. um and yeah and insurance companies like they that they're making money off of a promise and the less they can keep that promise the more money they can make right yeah it seems like one of those things where you know in in looking at like okay what what needs to change that like anywhere that people are generating a profit off of something that is like a human need like we need to just we have to stop that we have to like stop the possibility for people to be profiting off of things that people need like medical care or like food (laughs) you know where it's like uh because yeah the more and it feels like we're sort of in a a stage of this whole project where like you know, it's like it's like the end of Monopoly when like some asshole has four hotels, and like yeah. <laughs> there's just nothing that you can. Yeah, do nobody about wants it. to play anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like okay, we're everyone's at the... quiet, quitting. <laughs> yeah, well, basically, yeah. Um, I've been there in Monopoly. <laughs> yeah, um, and you know, then you know the the response is like no one wants to work anymore, and it's like well, actually, maybe maybe the impacts of how we were working also were just unsustainable and so you have to recognize that yeah. the the cost <clears throat> in terms of like human resources uh even thinking about people as like in that framework is you know challenging but like the the amount that we are able to produce like if that's extracted in an unsustainable way, just like any other resources extracted in an unsustainable way, we can't expect that we'll continue to turn profit on it. 
right? Like, if you have a forest that is, like, managed in such a way that you are thinking about, like, okay, well, what, you know, what's coming out of this forest 10 years from now, 15 years from now, that's a really different business model than, like, big trees out profit today, right? Yeah. And we have... And I mean, really, and if you look at even in, across w- all within human history, we, there have been periods where we planned in way further terms. Like, mm-hmm. um... I'm obsessed with listening to medieval history podcasts because it's like my soothing rest time thing where I'm like so far away. It's not about now. It's not about modern problems. Yeah. Very soothing. Um, <laughs> but I was shocked. This one, like this, this one story has really stuck with me um, that I heard recently about this, this monastery in the UK that was built with um, oak, old growth oak. And on the grounds the folks who built the monastery planted trees to replace some of the beams and they laid it out in documents as they built the monastery like this tree should be ready to replace these beams in like 300 years don't ever cut it right (laughs) that's like generation like that's that's 300 years ago is like you know so so distant anyways so um we we, but we just don't we don't think on those terms at all anymore and so something something that I would say is when you bring up like human resources and you know looking at people like that and even if you look at the capitalist kind of machine I think that we need to be careful to not underestimate how much um the system that we've designed can actually profiteer on collapse and Mm. we are approaching collapse in multiple ways climate collapse um you know human health collapse we've had this period where you know we invented a bunch of vaccines and figured out how to clean our water and, and um keep our sewage away from where people are living and things really improved and that is starting to change we're starting to you know kind of come into a new era um of pandemics and and the long-term impacts of our health on contracting more and new viruses and which again the ipcc tells us is related to climate change i'm not sure exactly how but (laughs) that's what we're being told uh by by the ipcc scientists so i'll take that um and so we're looking at collapse in multiple ways and i think you know as as people for me, I often think, like, well, we'll reach this breaking point and like everyone will see that this is we're asking too much of people. This is unsustainable. This is not OK. And I know as a parent and I'm sure you can relate, I kind of look around and I'm like, when are we all going to say like, whoa, every every adult in the house having to pull an income and raise children is unsustainable. And we're all going like bonkers and this is not working. And or even you know problems with our schooling uh with our education system and some of those areas reaching a breaking point like not having enough education assistance um overcrowded schools problems there and you know that i feel sometimes bewildered looking around like no one else sees this when are we gonna when are we gonna speak up and but we're so we're so trapped in trying to in and in in the ways that we've somehow fit these broken pieces together to somehow work for us so we're like nope don't move any of these pieces because i fit them together to like somehow keep it together 
Yeah. Um, but there's, there's, there's profit to be made over that. Even on the level of people are traumatized, people are overwhelmed, overworked. So we're spending money in ways that it's very easy for advertisers to, to get us on, right? Like, I think about myself and times even during, you know, like earlier phases of the pandemic when I was super stressed and like stress online shopping and like buying stuff I didn't need. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, or like, okay, I should start getting meal kits because I'm disabled, but I still have to work. So I can't make food from scratch. So now I'm getting these meal kits and now, you know, some corporations making money off of my overwhelm mm-hmm. um not and like no shade on meal kits and as a disabled person like yes thank you keep every like less cutting good <laughs> um but you know ultimately there is an apparatus that is not looking long term as you pointed out with the analogy of the forest and instead is like oh people are collapsing and reaching their breaking point there's money to be made off of this absolutely um and so it's it's on us as human beings and as, um, I would say, community leaders. And I think we need to all consider ourselves community leaders to mm-hmm. speak up and to be like, I'm at my breaking point. My neighbor is at their breaking point. My friends are at their breaking point. This is not okay. Yeah. Um, and that's where I think that a UBI is so, so revolutionary. And I think it is a step towards different way of doing things but it is the step that would allow enough of us to start to imagine a different setup for us to go there because we can't do what we can't imagine and if you think back to um and again you know if you have listeners who are in other countries this is in the canadian context but i know that there was were similar things happening elsewhere as well but you know for that period of the first phase of the pandemic where there was the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, the CERB, right? And so you could basically hit a button and get $2,000 a month. Uh, And of course, we know how that went down and how many people had that clawed back, etc. But for that brief moment, it was, there was like no issue qualifying. It was self-identifying that you needed it. You just went on, you applied, and it was like $2,000 a month, which is not very much, but I think that it's, you know, it correctly assessed, like, that's, like, the... You need at least... Somebody housed and fed. Yeah, you need at least that. And I Maybe. think one of the things that was really interesting in that time of, like, people accessing CERB uh, and realizing, like, oh, $2,000, like, fuck, how am I going to live on $2,000? And then realizing, like, how much lower disability payments are, like, across the country... Uh-huh than Uh that $200 and if you're on disability that eligibility was not extended or you know if you loophole it then they very much have expected it to be paid back you got it back yeah but no and uh, 2000 is like the bare minimum and it's so much higher than disability benefits across this country but I think you know if you I don't know if this was your experience as well and this is very much anecdotal this is my read on what I was seeing during that time is I was noticing people starting mutual aid groups. Um, I was noticing people making meals for their neighbors. I was noticing people dreaming up new business ventures, um, planning career changes. Um, yeah, so looking back to that that period in 2020, before we knew that the CERB was going to get clawed back for most of us, and when it was just like a 
press the button and get the benefit. Look, you know, if you can't work because of the pandemic, which was a lot of people at that time, um, here you go, bare minimum amount. And I, you know, I look back on that period and people were out banging their pots and pans for healthcare workers and they were making food for neighbors and they were planting gardens. Everyone was obsessed with gardening. Remember that? They were like, the city of Victoria was like giving out plant starts and everyone was like starting their pandemic gardens and, you know, people were coming through for children in, in inventive ways to try to to continue to ensure that they had the community connections that they needed despite the, the requirements to, to distance and they were caring for each other and there was this sense of, of imagination and hopefulness for the future and I personally very much connect that to this sense that there was an actual safety net for the only time that many mm -hmm. of us have experienced in our lifetimes. There was an actual safety net. And it was like, you know, our political leaders coming out and being like, we got your back. We're going to catch you. You're not going to fall. We're not going to let you go. Like, we're going to leave your business alone. We're going to give you whatever. And I mean, they made a lot of mistakes and, you know, the wage subsidy thing getting totally abused and whatever. Like, postmortem is postmortem. But during that moment, there was so much energy towards imagining a different better more connected future and and way of being with each other and now it is so the opposite right like yeah. <clears throat> i don't know if you found this as a cyclist but i'm finding like way more road rage um uh, like people are irritable people are um rude um it's like the vibe is off and you know it's we're we're like people keep the news of recession is coming da 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 and it's like we don't have the ability to imagine anything different than just trying to make it through every day and so that for me um really underscores what a UBI could do for us and mm -hmm. it, it could give us the space to like the breathing room and the the kind of pause to actually start to collectively start to dream of a different future because you know I'm finding more and more that it's like me and pockets of other anarchist friends kind of talking about this stuff but it is not playing with my I'll say normie friends like it's not they're not they're like I'm so burnt out. I got to go on a holiday. And, you know, instead of being like, let's tear the system down. I'm burnt out. Wow. You're burnt out. Everyone's burnt out. Something's wrong. Um, and <clears throat> also, sorry, I have, this is like part of my long COVID. I have to like clear my throat a lot. So it's probably gonna be very annoying on this <laughs> recording, but that is it's the, part of the story. Reality. Um, it's part of the story. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I really, and, you know, and the other thing for me personally, like, what would a UBI mean for me? Well, I would immediately quit my job and probably not feel like an absolute sack of shit every day uh, because I'd be able to rest enough. Um, and probably my partner would, like, take a significant amount of time off work to care for me so that we can could hopefully get to, like, a more manageable level with health and whatever um but you know regardless I wouldn't be trying to work like 20 to 30 hours a week while homeschooling my children while having like serious 
ME symptoms, um, you know, and then uh, being on the cycle of being like, go, 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 try to do all the things and then being like crash and being bedridden for like a week and having to like call in support because I don't have a support network that activates unless it's an emergency. So I can see the crash coming and there's not much I can do about it until it happens. Right. Well, and it sounds like that's that's also sort of how the insurance business operates, too. Right. Is like they're like, Uh we can't do anything for it. You're not in crisis. You're not eligible. Right. And so then the expectation in order for you to somehow unlock those benefits would be for you to be like more incapacitated. Yeah. And then like, you know, I and I, I think that's one of the things that is interesting. You know, I found this in my experience of applying for PWD and I know uh, other folks who have uh, echoed this that like part of the expectation for any payout is that like you have to communicate how bad things would be if even even if you didn't have a crisis activated support network like how bad could they be are they in the worst version of what's real but like just like take those worst parts and and amplify that and that's like the story that they need in order to give any shits but that like the reality of what it takes to live without that help is that like you you can't actually be uh like centered or, or focused on the ways that that everything sucks because then you you can't survive Right. Like you have to be like, I believe there is a possibility there might be a light at the end of the tunnel. I'm going to keep going. Um, Yeah. And you can't let that light uh, into the process of accessing benefits. But then there's always a gamble. Right. Because if you you're like, okay, I'm going to like I'm going to show you how fucking bad it can be. And then they're like, yeah, no, you're not eligible. Then you're like, well, shit, now I'm here. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. A hundred percent. Whew, yeah, yeah, it's um, the other thing that I want to highlight about what you just said is how addicted to silver linings and toxic positivity our culture is oh and what a high price you pay for diverging from that. So I will say like I, I have people in my life who I have had to basically cut out of my life because they've been like well but look at the silver lining about you getting COVID and becoming chronically ill and like you know even when I first had acute COVID and being like well at least you got it while you're on vacation um and me being like nope hard boundary on that like don't impose positivity on this and and I what I've realized in that process of of not doing toxic positivity on myself mm-hmm. and not allowing people to have those narratives with me about me is that people treat me like I'm insane and they they reject me and they um you know like I there's several close people in my life who I won't point out exactly who it is but if they hear this which they won't they'll know who they are um who've been very committed to like silver lining my situation to the point where they're no longer really in my life because um, they have a very strong reaction to 
me being like, no, this fucking sucks. Mm -hmm. There's nothing good about it. And so the interesting way that that plays into what you've talked about, about the, the application or the, the gauntlet of trying to qualify for benefits is that it requires you to basically ostracize yourself. It, it requires you to, to, to do, to, to engage in a behavior in a way of thinking that actually comes at a cost in our society. Like there is a social price to pay for not doing the standard toxic positivity. And so, and we see so many of those narratives from people about our, you know, friends and neighbors and um, siblings and comrades who are on benefits, right? Like how many times do we hear people just flippantly saying ableist things about folks who have disabilities and how often is it um implied or said that it's in their heads that it's it's you know and obviously like i think you and i both know that mind body one package one thing yeah but you know we're there's this idea that like disabled people are just quote-unquote crazy and that's what's going on with them right and i have received that like been told directly by people in my life that it's my mental health um and so we there there is a stigma around even going there right and so we're asking to put ourselves at increased risk of stigma by the way that we have to frame our narrative to qualify for benefits um and that doesn't even get into the fact that then you know we have to like commit to that framing and to a certain extent too right and like as you kind of pointed out, like if you don't qualify for the benefit, well, you're still left with the framing that you had to set up. Right. And, um, and that's something that I've struggled with too. Cause I have, and like, to be quite frank, I have thought like, yeah, if I really framed this in like the, like if I act like my worst day out of the month is every day, if I frame it as in like, this is a crisis, I can't care for myself. I can't, you know, whatever would I qualify? And to be frank with you, and this may be my internalized ableism or like capitalism fucking with my mind, but I'm like, no, that's not, it's not good for me. Right. It's not helpful for me. And, and beyond the fact that it would feel disingenuous because I have a lot of good days where I'm like, oh, not about, maybe I skipped my rest and it's okay. And then I'm like, okay, I'll have to make sure I get my rest in tomorrow. But today was fine. I'm not running a marathon. I'm not going for a walk even. Mm -hmm. Um, But I can like, on a on I have many good days where I can like get my kids to school no problem and like get through work and make a meal and with you know with like modifications and things that I've learned like sit on a stool while I chop the vegetables or whatever um and ride my like super powerful e-bike yeah exactly that type of thing but it's like it would feel disingenuous to say like and and this so then I would have to carry that, but it's like that's what we have to fucking do to get the benefits that we paid for when we're actually sick, mm-hmm. when we're actually disabled, when we actually need them, um, and you know so and I've had I have had long conversations with my therapist about that. Like, am I selling myself out? Is this am I am I playing into the stigma? Is this pride? Is it you know? is it internalized ableism like should I be pushing this forward but it's ultimately come down to like you know I have like a couple side hustles going on that I'm like very passionate about that I'm hoping 
will eventually take over from my current job and stuff and being like, okay, so long-term disability, a long-term disability claim, I'm going to get kicked off it pretty soon. So it's a lot of, it's I, a lot of work you know, and mental gymnastics for something that maybe isn't really the security. That you uh-huh. Have. And then I, I, a high possibility I don't qualify for, even if I go full, this is the worst doomiest possible version of right. what's going on. And B, if I continue, if my health continues to be more or less what it is or, or improves, I likely get kicked off of, um, you know, cause I'm like trying to start a flower stand and I'm super passionate about that, but I'm looking at it. I'm like, it makes a lot of sense to actually do this legit and like register as a business, et cetera. So I can write my rent off on my taxes and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so then it's like, okay, getting kicked off of disability because I'm running a business. Um, but yeah, like it's fucked up that we have to push ourselves into narratives about ourselves that are actually the very same narratives that are highly stigmatized in our culture. Um, yeah, yeah, it sucks. Yeah, and I'm. I mean, I have. I've made observations where because because of like how layers of stigma and judgment exist and are applied and like how we how we interact with them that like I have been privy to conversations of people who are on disability benefits who are looking down their noses at people who need more support to maintain their housing or who are like in active drug use or whatever right uh-huh. we're like we we have these layers where you know people by and large relate to power as something that exists in a power over model right uh-huh. and of course of course we do of course we relate to it in that way because that's what our culture teaches us that's how, like how the overarching systems tell us that power is and so you know everyone looks for like who it is that they have power over in order to feel better but in you know in the process yeah it's like you know further division and i i feel like that is it's the way that it is coming up right now in terms of like you know some of the rise of the far right and like you know people Mm -hmm. passing passing bills to make it harder to have like a varied gender expression or access reproductive justice like that those things it's it's all the same right it's like we understand power in this way that it is like something that is taken and if you want power you have to take it from someone who has less um because there are powers that be that are taking power from you and so like it's just this um you know mad grab yeah, something that I've been thinking a lot about lately, because, again, circling back to my rest time obsession with history podcasts, um, <laughs> most recently, medieval, uh, but previously, definitely went through other eras, um, so <laughs> that's that's my thing, um, and it's made me reflect quite a bit on how committed we are at this point in history, and I would say certainly since you know my parents childhood just by my read on things Mm -hmm. um 
we've been extremely committed to this idea of progress and linear progress and not just like technological progress um quality of life progress but social progress too and <clears throat> this idea that we're working towards things getting better for everybody and it's just like you know any you know it's this it's maybe like a slow process but we're going towards something and the more that i learn about history the more that i think that's bs that's this idea of progress is being sold to us mm -hmm. by um the elites the um and you know with elites being like wealthy plus intelligent and tuned in and like that's that's how i kind of conceived that that notion of the elites mm -hmm. since you know probably the industrial revolution revolution and um you know likely since before um and it's you know it's this idea of progress that is i think very connected to the power model that we we use as well this power over rather than power with and power within we're you know and we're we're told like it's gonna get better it's gonna get better and so if you don't feel like it's getting better that also that plays into what we were just talking about too about the stigma of being like a negative person or not doing this toxic positivity um so if we feel like shit guys we're on the verge of collapse here or like shit's worse than it was for medieval peasants right now like what are we going to do about that um so this i this idea of you know slow but linear upward progress i think holds us back in terms of our imagination Mm -hmm. um, and it it keeps us kind of tied to whatever's happening right now. And then relating it back to the power structures that we live within as well, it also upholds the hierarchy of power because we can't have radical change and keep having progress. Um, because, oh no, we could slide backwards, <laughs> right? Backwards, air yeah. quotes. Um, and so, but within that, there is a lot of ups and downs, right? Like, you know, if you look at, I'm currently obsessed with the medieval, medieval era, so I'll use this example, like, there were times in medieval um, Europe when, like, a peasant's life was going to be, life expectancy was going to be longer than people during the Industrial Revolution. There, um, if you look at the, like, isotope studies of their diets, their diets were going to be better than somebody, like a, you know, working class person during the Industrial Revolution. Then there's other times where there's plague, war gets really bad, whatever and, and it drops down it's way worse so it's like it's up and down it's up and down um, but when we're being told like, oh what you want to go back to the dark ages pre-capitalism um yes <laughs> you know i think a lot of people kind of nod like oh yeah no i don't want like right you're right i need you i require you for this slow but linear progress that we're on um can't go back but i, I hear you saying yes me too i'm like fuck yes bring me back um but you know but and within that we feel so powerless and so stuck within this power structure because we need to keep going on the track that we're on and we need to if we send enough petitions to the right politician we can get the slow progress that we've been promised right and nobody wants to name like actually we're going backwards like they don't even have the right to have a fucking abortion in most of the u.s right now like and for you know gender diverse people like you and me like 
shit's not getting better and that's just the reality like it's just not um you know like five years ago you didn't have to think am i going to be attacked if i go to a drag story time yeah right like it's and it's it it sucks but it's not but it's and then there's this cognitive dissonance with the like the narrative and the the idea of slow linear progress um and then what what that dissonance what i see it doing in my own life is lateral violence so people within the same class like range with with similar types of marginalization or similar oppression factors are kind of like trying to power over each other to feel like they have like a bit more control because none of us are fucking lashing out at who we should be lashing out at because we're like but i require these elites to keep steering us on this benevolent terrible but slow slow but useful progress thing that we're on right yeah um so we're just you know and and even like you know i have you know worked in politics and seen people's response to things like an even very modest um idea of a wealth tax in canada right that sort of came up i think in the 2019 election first and um you know people being like we can't have this and i'm like you have no idea how rich some people are like we're not talking about you yeah you will never <laughs> like, be yeah this person. you you inherited a million dollars and you invested it pretty well and now you have like a super nice home in like a fancy neighborhood and like three luxury cars you're not you're not a wealthy elite no. like we're not talking about you <laughs> um but you know in, but instead of and instead of you know lashing out at who we should be lashing out at we're like oh income tax it's so high cut the income tax oh this is all the fault of the serb or the OAS or disability benefits you got to cut those too you can't increase those we can't have health care because yeah like income tax is too high for lower income people but we don't charge wealth taxes like the wealthiest people are like barely paying anything into the system right no because their Um, income doesn't even come from like the income system it comes from just like generating money off of having money 100 percent, 100 percent, and it's so interesting for me because um my partner works in like a an industry where the product that he provides um is consumed by the ultra wealthy Mm -hmm. and it has so changed my perspective i'm like i i now consider like a doctor or a lawyer a working class comrade i'm like yeah you have a lexus good for you that's awesome like some people have jets (laughs) yeah let's talk about them (laughs) together you and me doctor because you you know yeah you probably have a lexus you're probably paying that every month and you also probably have student debt so like you're my comrade. If you choose to align yourself with me, we are comrades. But if you choose to align yourself with rich people, like, you're a bootlicker. <laughs> so that's where I decided to cut it off. This is the end of part one of my conversation with Elise here on Imagination Revolution UBI. My name is Corey Doty. Thanks for tuning in. If you want to support the show, uh, please do so by... Uh, following me on patreon patreon 
slash Corey Doty, K-O-R-I-D-O-T-Y. You can also find me on all the other places. I don't tweet, but otherwise, you know, I'm around. Um, and I've got events coming up. You can always subscribe uh, to my website as well to make sure that you're up to date on new episodes of the show uh, and other things that I am up to. Uh, you can find part two of this conversation shortly uh, in all the same places that you find podcasts and wherever you found this one. Uh, thanks again for listening.